Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. The 0-2, and that gets away from Smith coming home. Edmund, he will score, and the Cardinals strike first on a wild pitch, and he deals a curve, and Smith was ready for it. Edmund slides, go to first, and oh. play. Tommy Edmund, Wainwright deals, Turner on the ground, right over the bag. Edmund steps on the back, throw to first, and a double play. Wainwright deals, Turner in the air, left field. He's going to watch it fly. Justin Turner strikes again in the postseason. Reyes fires, swing and a drive, deep left field. This is way back. Walk him off, Chris Taylor. Well, that's how it ended. So many things to get into from that game last night as we continue our coverage of the Cardinals being eliminated from the 2021 postseason. This is the Danny Mac Show on a Thursday. That's BK. I'm Danny Mac. Um, First and foremost, BK, I'll say this. Whether you're a Cardinal fan or not, that was an absolutely fabulous, and I mean fabulous, baseball game. That was awesome. That's about as good as you can find in baseball. Drama, winner take all. The Dodgers, the Cardinals, the history. Wayno Scherzer, two great pitchers. Every pitch was uh, with something on the line, literally. I mean, it, the one-run game. I'm I mean, exhausted today. It, it was just a great, fabulous baseball game. Then there was the game to break down. Um, if you would have told me going into this show today, Max Scherzer is going to go four and a third, walk three. The Cardinals, nine of their first 18 that went to the plate, saw five or more pitches. The Cardinals had a lead in that game. And, and struck first when they're when they score first this year they're 70 24 I would have said you know what Cardinals then maybe had a really good shot to win that game Wayno goes five and a third interesting move with him we'll get into but yep. if you would have said that to me I said I bet the Cardinals won and I'll be darned they almost did man and if they win that game watch out what happens the rest of the postseason I you know to me and I know Bill Plaschke wrote about this yesterday in the LA Times. I read his article. I love reading him, but he said, this is the game. You yep. know, talking about it from the Dodgers' perspective before the game, he said, this is your team you have to beat. And it lived up to it, man. It was just a fabulous baseball game. I think whoever won that game was going to the World Series. I did too. I, I really do. And I felt that way going into it. I feel even stronger about that leaving that game. I think the Dodgers are the best team in the National League. And you took them to the wire. You had every opportunity. Man, if you told me yesterday the Cardinals would have a base runner in every single inning, which they did, a base runner in every single inning. If you had told me that you would have finished with one run, I would have said, man, how is that possible? Well, let me tell you. O'Neal, Arenado, they go 0 for 8. The Cardinals in the game go 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. And other than Tommy Edmond, who had three hits, Paul Goldschmidt, Dylan Carlson, they were the only Cardinals with hits. And that's that's the game. 
Like, we can talk about all the decisions, and we will, Dan, and there's there's reason to question some of them, and I, I'm right there with a lot of Cardinals fans. Like, I, I it was frustrating to watch at times last night, but, man, the, the decisions are one thing. At the end of the day, the guys got to execute, yeah. and they didn't. That's not on Mike Schilt. You know, they, they went 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position, and... Listen, some of that has to be a credit to the Dodgers pitching. And I know we don't want to do that here in St. Louis. And I really do get that. But God, is that bullpen good? Yeah, God, they are. Well, good. That's three closers. Randy and Michelle, we, we were talking about it on the morning show. You know, you, you're, you're throwing out Knable. You're throwing out Kenley Jansen. Um, you were also throwing out Trinan, who had been a closer at times. Crowder all looked unhittable last night. So did Joe Kelly. Yeah, I mean. So you went Scherzer, Kelly, Gratterall, Trinan, Corey Knable, and Kenley Jansen. And by the way, Urias was about to come into the game yep. if you went into extras. And that guy is one of the best pitchers in the National League. So I, I think that was one of the big storylines that is going a bit underrated today. As much as last night was about the Cardinals lack of hitting with runners in scoring position and some of the decisions that were made and all of these and bringing in Alex Reyes, all of those different things. It was also as simple as one of the teams just had more bullets in their bullpen than the other. And the Dodgers bullpen, if you were looking for any one unit that was the best in that game, it was probably their bullpen. Yeah. That was where the biggest advantage was. So let's go back to this part here. Um so Wayno goes five and a third, four hits, one run, uh, gave up the Justin Turner home run. He had 95 pitches, five strikeouts, two walks. In the sixth inning, this is where it was a little interesting. I didn't quite understand the move by Mike Schilt, but I, I, I do and I don't. So let me go back to it. Sure. So Bader is at uh, first. You got two outs. Wayno comes up. And at that point, in a winner-take-all, you're thinking, man, I'm not generating any offense and my best shot to maybe have somebody walk into one and pop me a two-run homer or an extra base hit, and with Bader at first, maybe he scores on an extra base hit, is a position player. And then at that point, I go to my bullpen, and uh, he didn't do that. He had Wayno hit for himself. So Wayno goes back out to pitch in the bottom of that inning. Seeger grounds out. Uh, Trey Turner just a little squibber up the third base line, and then he was taken out. Now, you did have Justin Turner coming up, who is destroying breaking balls, and it already homered against Wayno. But if you're having Wayno hit in that spot, normally it's about getting you at least three more outs. And maybe what Mike Schilt was saying is, no, I liked him in the matchup with the first two guys, and if he got him, I was still going to go to my bullpen. We don't know the answer to that. And it didn't hurt him. Uh, Luis Garcia came in, cleaned it up. He had the sixth and then came in with one out, one on, got out of that, went an inning and two-thirds. Then you had Gallegos, McFarland, Reyes. But that was one of the moves that uh, I was kind of like, hmm, didn't quite understand that. I would have loved to have seen Henesis Cabrera pitch in this game. Let's start Let's start with that one. Okay. Um, let, let's stick on that for a second. So I think the interesting move there is Wayno hitting for himself and whether or not you should pinch hit in that spot, especially if you're of the mind in Mike Schultz's uh, situation there, that if one guy reaches base, you're going to take him out. I would have pinch hit there. Here's why I think it does get interesting, Dan, is because they had a they had a righty in the game at that point. They've got Gratter all in. So who are you going with? Because your lefty bats coming off of the bench Newbar, aren't great options. Yep. And 
I, I don't love Carpenter going up against that kind of a fastball. He's been late on let fastballs. Me, let me ask you this, though. Do sure. you like a position player, though, as opposed to seeing Wayno in that spot? Of course. But yeah. this is what I'm getting at is you didn't have great options there. And that's part of the roster construction. And this goes back to September. I just never understood why they decided not to call up Juan Yepes. That was a question that I had all of September. And then with him being on this 26-man wildcard roster, he's the guy in that spot. He does not have splits against lefties, righties. He is a 900 OPS guy against both sides of the plate. If you had seen him in September, Dan, at the big league level, I do think you probably, if he continued to have success, and we don't know if he would have or not, but if he did, I think you would have trusted him in that spot to be a righty bat, but a guy that hits right-handed pitching well coming off of the bench, you didn't have that option in this game. And so as much as this was about one moment in one game, it was bigger than that to me. It was about decision-making that should have happened over the last two weeks at a minimum. I would have liked to have seen him in that spot, but I get not trusting a guy that has literally never taken a net bat in the big leagues in a spot where you had to have a big time hit. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going with a lefty there. I'm going new bar. He's been a good pinch hitter. I would have pinch Small hit either sample way, size. but that, that's, that's kind of the point. context to, yeah. to the discussion there. Yepes, by the way, had a non-COVID issue where he was out of some games down the stretch, and I wonder if that did hold him back you know if they were ready to call him up um and remember at that time you weren't in a postseason play yet you weren't sure where you're going and do you want to bring him up and start his clock he's 22 you know if you're thinking that this is a guy he's part of the be future on the 40 next year anyways though correct they've got to protect him in the offseason so it was the 40-man roster decision was coming you had to make three weeks later i, I got or you now. i got you um and then you look at the uh, ninth inning and the first thing i said on valley sports after the game was where is Gallegos when you double switch to young Gallegos and you do it for a couple of reasons? One, you want to get that position player in a bat right away. Mm-hmm. Takes that pitcher spot where you had to young. And then you you ideally are looking at multiple innings from that reliever. Um, and I like the fact that he went with Gallegos in the eighth. Loved you're, it. Yeah, you're going with your best guy to keep this thing tight and keep it uh, tied. And then you're thinking, well, where is he at in the ninth? Well, we got that answer right away. He had a nail issue, had to come out. You start McFarland with that inning. And by the way, when Albert Pujols came up, I thought, oh, my goodness. I think everybody in St. Louis was expecting that I was. one to go out. Yep. I looked at BT. I go, he's going to hit a bomb. And I'll be darned if he didn't hit a rope. And I thought it was <laughs> going to go out when I saw it come off the bat for there for a second. <laughs> McFarland gave up a couple of hard hit balls. And we can talk about Reyes being used in that spot. Not enough has been pointed to the fact that you had Cody Bellinger against a lefty and he did not get him out. He walked him and Bellinger is a shell of himself right now. He's just not the same player. He came in with 36 RBI on the season, six of which were driven in in one inning against the Cardinals earlier this year. Think about that. So he's a shell of himself. So now you have Chris Taylor against Reyes. You're looking at Reyes to get maybe Mike is thinking at that point, I'm only going to have Alex Reyes for one out because his spot was due up fourth Mm -hmm. coming back in the next inning. So if you get somebody on, you're going to pinch hit for Alex Reyes and then go to your bullpen and figure it out from there. Chris Taylor, and I think one of the things that you're looking at here is Alex Reyes has an exceptional slider when it's right. He's hitting 204 against breaking balls. Taylor had been eight for 72 in the final stretch of the season and had been dealing with a neck injury. He was compromised. He wasn't the same player. The O2 pitch is a slider. I don't like it. And if you're going to call it, you got to bury it. 
you got to just bury it. I mean, that's that's the way it goes. Um, and he didn't. He hung it, and Taylor put a good swing on it. Game over, and well, we look ahead to 2022. Yeah, let's talk about that decision to go with Reyes in that spot. It, it's a tough one, Dan, because I see some people that are saying you should have brought in Jack Flaherty in that no, spot. I, he's I got to start a clean inning. I wouldn't have liked that decision either. I, you're going up against... In that spot, Taylor, who is much better against left-handed pitchers than he is against righty. So I get going to a righty in that spot. But Alex Reyes, the last time that he came into a game with an inherited runner was the Milwaukee game where he came in with the bases loaded. He gives up the grand slam to Vogel back. And that's the last time we've seen him at any point in the regular season come into a game with an inherited runner. Dan, this year, 10 of the 14 inherited runners that Alex Reyes had when he entered the game scored. I would have preferred 70%. a clean inning. I, I'm with you. Totally I, with you. Um, that's so, the way I would have approached it. But, you know, hey. I, I, and I also, if I'm going down, if he's rested, Hennessy's Cabrera's got to be in that game somewhere. That's what I was going to say. If not I would have maybe started that inning with Cabrera. I was surprised they didn't. I, I was too, because I want to save McFarland for that ground ball double play. Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting move at that point. Now, you can say, well, what, where's the finger issue with Cabrera from last week and all that stuff? But and if he's I, on the roster. That's my point. So my, I, I would have said, well, as of the yesterday morning, apparently he was healthy enough, and you're not going to waste a roster spot for him. Now, if you had a longer series and he's compromised, maybe. But sure. if he says he's ready to go, then you got to go. You know, then he's available. He's healthy. He's healthy enough to pitch. So it was interesting. It, it just didn't work out. And here's the bottom line though they went 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position O'Neal Arenado came up with chances to do damage Arenado had hittable pitches last night and didn't do anything with it O'Neal to me was just out of sorts um had had funky at bats. We had seen looks that big for him, and I, I, I'm not saying that to like put him down. I, I think he's going to learn a lot from this situation. But it, it looked a little big for both him and Edmundo Sosa last night. So um, that's something you learn for, you know, learn from going forward, and that's something to think about as uh, we evaluate this season coming up. We're going to visit with uh, who do we got? Anthony Castrovince, and looking forward to that. He is one of the top baseball minds in the game, and we'll get his thoughts on what happened last night. Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. Anthony Castrovens of MLB.com has been kind enough to hop on the postmortem, if you will, <laughs> the day after, not even 24 hours old. And a, a classic game last night between the Dodgers and the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm Danny Mack. That is BK. Danny Mack Show on 101 ESPN. Anthony, as always, thanks for hopping on. How are you? I'm great, guys. Yeah, great great game last night. If that was the last uh, wild card game, which it could be, I hope it's not, but it could be, uh, that was a heck of a way to go out. It really was. Um, what did you think? I mean, a lot of people here in St. Louis talking about uh, Alex Reyes coming in in that spot and uh, facing Chris Taylor, who had been struggling down the stretch. What did you think about that move? Well, I get the discussion, and there's there's two points of discussion. There's the way Wainwright was handled, you know, getting that at bat uh, in the sixth with the runner on, and then, you know, if you're going to pull him at that moment in the bottom of the sixth, why'd you let him bat? I, you know, that's the question, and, and the Reyes, you know, sticking with Reyes there is a question. Uh, but, you know, Schultz managed that game, I would say, kind of, 
conventionally as opposed to with that that you know huge sense of urgency and you know they had options in the bullpen that included starters like Flaherty. Um, I don't have a great issue with that only because I think the game ultimately comes down to going, you know, one for, I think it was one for 11 with runners in scoring position and um, over 11. Sorry. And uh, I think they were one for 16 from their three through six hitters. I mean, that that's the ball game really. So I get that we do this. We always, you know, (laughs) deliberate over pitching changes and whatnot, but the bottom line is when that's your performance in the clutch and and from the middle of your order, it's, it's really hard to win a ball game. Anthony, you mentioned you, you kind of hope that that wasn't the final wild card game. I'm with you. I, I like the setup. I know it's completely unfair. Like, I get why people don't like it. 106 win team going into a one game scenario where their season's on the line. I get that. But man, the theater that we saw last night was unbelievable. And it gave us yeah. incredible moments from start to finish. It gave baseball something that people are actually talking about, even for a casual fan. I hope they right. keep this. Do you think what we have seen over the last couple of nights, is that enough for baseball to consider it? Or do you think this is good as done? Well, I, I, I would lean towards it's done. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I mean, first of all, what is fair? I mean, the most, the most fair thing would be to go back to, uh, you know, the, the early 1900s and just have the American league winner play the national league winner. And that's your world series, but that's not happening. Obviously there's money to be made and there's, there's more markets to get involved and, um, and, and so you get into this discussion of, of, of how to go about it. And as long as we're going to have division uh, and, and schedules weighted towards your division, where you're playing the other teams, your division, you know, 18, 19 times, then you have to attach value to winning your division. So that was the great criticism uh, in the, the first part of the wild card era where we didn't have this wild card game was that, you know, wild cards were, yeah, they had to go start on the road, but they were treated basically the same as winning your division which was unfair to the division winner. So then you come up with this wild card game, which I think is just absolutely fantastic. It's, it's manufactured drama, but it's drama all the same. It's a must watch game. Um, it penalizes the wild card teams without, you know, overly penalizing them. It's one game. You burn your best available starter, and then you go take your best shot against a division winner who didn't have to rest, you know, an unnecessarily long period of time. Uh, it's just, you know, you can knock these games out in a couple of days and then progress to the division series. What I think is going to happen, what I expect to happen, is some sort of expansion of the playoff field to 12 or 14 teams. And it would kind of look like what we saw last year with the you know, differences. It's fewer teams, and, and you could probably give a buy, uh, a wild card series buy to the top overall seed in the league, um, or maybe the top two seeds, depending on the number of teams. But uh, it's. It, you'll you'll have division winner you'll have some kind of division winner playing a non division winner in a best of three. Is that any more fair? I, I don't know that it is. Uh, I, I think that things can get a little wonky there when it comes to the strength of your division. You know, you can be a hundred win team, you can be the best team in the league, but maybe have not played as strong of a schedule as a team that's in a deep division. You know, that has its win total watered down, but but won a a more difficult, challenging division, and now has to go play a wild card team in a best of three while that 100-win team or whatever it is uh, gets to sit around for a couple of days. So I don't think you're ever going to have a fair format. I think you're always going to run into situations where we're complaining about something, <laughs> and I'd rather complain about this. I think, I think this was pretty awesome, really. I, I think it, 
you know, you get more teams, more markets involved, but you make them earn it. You make them fight their way in the division series. I like that. Well, you know, Anthony, it's interesting, and, and I'm with you. I mean, a winner-take-all is great drama. However, as we all know, a lot of things in life are driven by money. So uh, if yeah. you can add a few more games and put more money in the pockets of those that play the sport or those that own the teams in the sport, you probably do that. I, I, I got to wonder, though, if that's the direction that baseball is looking. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know that we know that uh, they did it last year uh, under extreme circumstances with the virus. Um, but they tried to expand the postseason for this year. You know, the players union shot that down along with the universal DH. Uh, so we went back to the 2019 format. But, you know, we all know the collective bargaining agreement is looming. And you're right. There's money to be made. And, and it's also it's, it's both making money, involving more markets and also placating the concerns of those who don't like. 162 game season for any team division winner or not to come down to one game. So, you know, I, that's why I suspect you'll get a, some sort of three game play in series, wild card series. Um, but like I said, there, there's going to be issues of, of, you know, what's fair, what's equitable in, in that format as well. Anthony Castrovince of MLB.com and MLB Network joining us here on 101 ESPN. Anthony, now that we have come to the conclusion of the Cardinals season and after watching that game last night and how they were able to match up against the Dodgers, how would you assess this Cardinals team? Yeah, it's an interesting team. I, I don't know if it was on with you guys. It was on at some point in St. Louis radio uh, a, you know, a couple months ago, and I said if they win the wild card at this point, I'd call it a successful season. Uh, and some people took issue with that, but I stand by that. I, I, I still can, you know, take the 30,000 foot view of their year and say, yeah, they just got barraged by injuries in the rotation. And yes, there was underperformance on the club uh, in, in the first half, but, but they really hit hard and, and, you know, that, that affected things. Um, they didn't show a great sense of urgency. Uh, and I, when I say success, I mean, within the context of the clubhouse, the dugout, you know, the hand they were dealt, and, and what they had to play through and play with. And they were still able to go on that great run in the second half. So I give them a lot of credit. I give Mike Schultz a lot of credit. Um, I do think that the front office stopped a little short of, of doing more last winter after the Nolan Arnado deal, which was obviously a very uh, financially uh, beneficial deal. You get Nolan Arnado for really nothing. And uh, you'll take that every time. Uh, but they didn't do much beyond that uh, to accrue depth. And I thought that really hurt them in the first half. Um, to their credit, they made some good wily additions as the season went along. You know, they really repaired their bullpen on the fly and, uh, and they made some unheralded additions to their rotation that, that turned out to, you know, really stabilize things for them down the stretch. So, so I, I'd say that the organization as a whole just kind of regrouped pretty well, uh, as, as the year played out. And, and that's how you got that wild run at the end of the season. And that's how you got a, a postseason opportunity. Yeah. And they, um, but you know, going, no, I go ahead. Say I'm going sorry. forward, yeah. you know, you, you Going forward, you'd like to see a little more aggressiveness, you know, when it comes to, you know, the infield is certainly an area where they could be aggressive in a deep shortstop market. Um, so I'll be really curious to see what happens there uh, and, and and just accruing depth in general. But I, I still think they're in a good spot. It's just, you know, we all know the, talk is, the clock is ticking on some of their key players. You know, you got aging corner infielders, uh, you know, Goldschmidt and Mon Arnado. Or Arnado's in his early 30s, but but still, we know how third baseman that that position has some atrophy to it, and uh, and obviously, you know, the Wainwright Molina combination, which maybe ten years from now they'll still be signing 
you know, one-year deals with the Cardinals. But um, Molina says he's retiring next year, so I guess that, that clock's running out, and Wainwright is probably not far behind. So you, you want to do right by those guys. Yeah, he also said that uh, when he signed his three-year deal, this would be his last contract. Yeah. So I'm with you, Anthony. Right. Seeing <laughs> is believing, right? Um, exactly. I, I, I am curious, you know, what you think about – I think what the Cardinals found out about this year is, number one, their outfielders can play. Um, and they wanted to yeah. find that out going into the season. And then they found out that their defense can be elite, which it was. I thought that was the best defensive club uh, in baseball. So having said that, you can't have enough pitching. And I got to wonder what the Cardinals do in terms of their pitching and try to say, hey, mm-hmm. let's either load it up with some you know, good guys like Happ and Lester. They figured it out. The defense worked for them. Hap a fly ball pitcher, put him in Bush Stadium. It worked. I wonder if that's the direction they go or if they're looking for a frontline guy. Which direction do you think they may look? Well, I mean, to be honest, just given their recent history, I, I don't assume they'll go after a frontline guy just because, you know, you know, prove me wrong, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like there's been many years in the recent past where I've been advocating for them to do something like Bryce Harper, for instance, would have been an enormously great fit for them at that time and they just didn't make those kind of moves. So uh but we all know that you know, I'll tell you guys that if they did go after a frontline option, uh, we saw a guy last night who who hails from your neck of the woods, so he would be a good one. Um and, and there'll be other ones out there. It's it's pretty interesting free agent class this year. It's it's one of the better ones in recent years. Um, so there, there's options to be had out there. Um, I would, I would hope at, at minimum, I would hope that they're in on again the shortstop class that runs about four, five, six guys deep of, of truly impact players. You know, I, I think that there's there's an opportunity to do something there. Yes, I know Sosa, you know, came on strong for them this year, and you have Paul DeYoung under contract. I know all of that, but I, I just think if you can impact your lineup in a meaningful way, that's a, a clear spot for them to do it in. I'm not saying it's a buyer's market, but it is a deep market, and there's there's opportunity to be had there. You know, it was kind of the uh, sidebar Scott Boris uh, show last night as he had Juan Soto, <laughs> and uh, obviously yeah. he has his season tickets right by an home plate, and they kept shooting on the camera, those two guys. Uh, but he also represents Max Scherzer, and I've heard – you know, he's 37. I've heard numbers that like, man, he can get 40, 50 million dollars a year for a two or three year deal. Is that is that in the price range of, of Max Scherzer? Is, is he going to get something that big? Uh, it could be. I mean, he could he could vie for the highest average annual value for for a pitcher. I think that's well within the realm of possibility. But the problem with discussing any of this stuff is we, we just don't know what the CBA is right. going to be or when it's going to be. And that's going to impact things in a major way. We'll see. But, um, you know, I've, I've been kind of working on uh, starting to work on our free agent rankings for this winter. And, yeah, there's an argument to have Max Scherzer at number one. Obviously, he's not going to get the biggest deal. He's not going to get the $200 million contract he got uh, when he went to Washington. But as you said, uh, a short-term deal at a high average annual value, and it could be a record-breaking average annual value. I think that's well within the realm of possibility. Anthony, you mentioned the shortstop position as well, and that is certainly one that Cardinals fans have their eye on, given the class and also what they have currently with Edmundo Sosa emerging as their starter this year. But Paul DeYoung's weird year and the questions of whether or not Sosa is your long-term starter there, do you view that as a must-get for the Cardinals, a want? How would you assess their current situation at shortstop and especially given the market that's available this offseason? Yeah, it's, it's no disrespect to Sosa or DeYoung, but again, I, I would just take advantage of, of the opportunity. I think it's there for them. Uh, I, I think their lineup needs, uh, you know, uh, uh, another another 
impact bat, you know, um, that, and that's the place to do it. So it's not my money. It's not my team, but that's, that's certainly what I'd be thinking of just because of, again, the opportunity that's presented in this market. You figure it, you figure it out when you have uh, middle of the diamond talent, when you have a quote unquote surplus of that, there's always ways to, uh, to address that. But, uh, you know, you guys mentioned earlier, the young outfield, I feel great about, you know, the complexion of that group now, uh, a lot better than people felt going into the year. And, I still think I don't think we've even seen uh, you know I think we've only seen the beginning of store for Dylan Carlson. I think there's a lot more there, um, and he was a really good player this year. But I, I'm I'm talking about like a, a truly uh, impact player. I think that's still in there. So there's good things brewing, you know, kind of uh, you know within what they already have. But I would go for it, man. I, I think that's a good team. I think the Brewers are going to be a bit compromised. Uh, this winter, because if you look at their payroll structure and Josh Hader getting more expensive in arbitration as he nears free agency and Christian Yelich's contract literally doubles or more than doubles, I think next year, uh, his salary, or maybe it's nearly double. I forget, but, uh, it's a lot more is the point. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, and just the, the sheer money they have committed to their outfield that was really, really underperformed this year with Yelich and Jack Bradley Jr. and Lorenzo Cain, um, that eats up a lot of their, uh, their payroll flexibility for next season. So, and the Cubs have scaled back significantly. We don't know what's going on with the Reds at this point. The Pirates are a non-factor still. So, you know, I, I think there's a very good chance that we go into 2022 and the Cardinals are a clear favorite in the NL Central. You do a fabulous job and have so many great contacts at MLB. I can't see any scenario. Well, I guess I could. It's baseball in which they have the CBA and you have some type of work stoppage. Obviously, it would be great to get it done sooner rather than later. December 1st, it's... Uh, it's finally up, but I think it's important for teams with the momentum that they've had to get their marketing out and get their season tickets out and highlight that great star player that you signed for your fan base. So what are you hearing on that? And, uh, you know, especially as we are now open at 100% capacity for fans, what, what are you hearing about, you know, baseball making sure they take care of the business side of things and, and fans can enjoy what happens on the field? Well, they've begun discussions, which is great. That's a, a great start. That's better than stonewalling each other for months and then yeah. trying to come up with a deal, you know, last minute. Um, and, and they're doing a better job of protecting that process than they did. I mean, last year was a, a mess, really, uh, during the, uh, you know, during the coronavirus shutdown and, and just trying to get the uh, plan in place for the sport to come back. It was very public. It was very ugly. And I, I hope and I think that both sides recognize, you know, how poorly that played out. Um, so there are discussions being had. I, I think it's I think it's very realistic that we have some sort of lockout when that deadline that you just mentioned is not met. Uh, but that doesn't mean it impacts the season in any way whatsoever. Um, it, the question is, do you hammer something out prior to spring training? You know, that's that's when that, that's the real deadline for all intents and purposes. So, um so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's been kind of, to be honest, it's been kind of tough to read the union um, in terms of what exactly they want. Um, I know we know generally what they want is that they want players to be better compensated in the early portion of their career. Um, because as we've seen, you know, the, the stars still get paid like stars in free agency, but there's been that kind of that middle class has really been affected by the evolution of baseball and, and how players are valued in the open market. And, uh, you know, that, that's impacted guys and that's shortened some guys' careers who maybe would have you know, gotten that last contract uh, in, in generations past and aren't getting it now. Um, so I know generally what they want. I just don't know specifically what they want. I don't think there's been a real cohesive, uh, you know, public uh, knowledge of that. So um, 
and then again, it, I'm not saying it should be public. I think they sure. should hammer this out behind the scenes and then tell us, hey, we got a deal. Um, even as a reporter, I can say that, but uh, because it was really, it, it, I don't think it benefited anybody to have everything, you know, every every detail of every uh, nuance, uh, every update, you know, going, going through the media last year, summer. I thought that was really ugly. hundred percent. Hey, Anthony, thanks for hopping on. Really appreciate your time. And uh, I'm sure we'll catch up during this off season here in St. Louis. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. You got it. Anthony Castrovince and uh, does a great job at MLB.com. I read him all the time. He's fabulous, man, at breaking down rosters, money, how it works, and just baseball in general. Always fun to visit with him. Absolutely. Dan, you mentioned the CBA there at the end with Anthony, and that I think that's going to be one of the storylines this offseason that takes hold of center stage because sure. nothing else can happen before then. It's kind of like last year where we were waiting and waiting and waiting on the designated hitter decision, and that eventually the Cardinals and other teams in the National League were like, hey, we're just going to assume that we're not going to have it this year, and if anything changes, like go ahead and let us know, but we're going to construct our rosters if we don't have it that's my fear for this offseason if they are not able to get this thing done early on that is going to continue pushing everything back and then we're going to see something similar to last offseason where baseball fans are like man there's such a a fantastic uh, shortstop class there are free agents all over the place max scherzer is potentially going to get 50 million dollars a year there's game changers everywhere anthony rizzo could come in and help somebody there's there's a bunch of really good players on the market and none of them can sign until there is something done with baseball CBA. Just get this done. Please, yeah. baseball, don't mess this up. Well, I'll take it a step further. Um, and I mentioned this on the morning show. I don't know if you were listening. <clears throat> and you always listen, so I know that you probably never missed a word That's that right. we're talking about. Especially today. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, and Fridays. Thank you, BK. That's Boy, right. that meant a lot to me. Um, is that, you know, when you come out of Thanksgiving, usually there's a lot of good movement. You know, there's there's some pretty big signings and then you have the winter meetings and December 1st is the deadline. And if I own a team or if I'm marketing a team and I'm out there signing that, that bless you. And if I'm out there, you, you OK? I'm good. And if I'm out there signing one of those shortstops, you know, I want to market that guy. You know, there might be some fans that say, oh, man. Max Scherzer is coming to St. Louis. I want to buy my tickets. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm excited about this season. I'm going to get my season tickets. I'm going to get my ticket plan. I'm going to get my pack. Uh, Whatever the case may be. Giving them as a gift for Christmas. That's exactly right. So those are the things that I think you have to look at big picture. Now, baseball, as it happens a lot in these types of deadlines and any sport in in CBAs, it comes down down to the final hour. You know, it comes down to late November and the clock is ticking on December 1st and then boom, you got a deal. Great. That's how it works because things get done at the final moment. That's why you have these deadlines. It, it forces you. That's why you have a trade deadline, forces sure. you to make that move. So, uh, but the big picture for me is I, I've, I'm hearing a lot of people say, well, it may not be done December 1st and uh, it, it bleeds maybe right into the beginning of spring training. No, I, I don't want that. I, to your point, let's get it settled, get your teams ready, spend the money, know what you have, players get what they want, owners get what they want to some level of an agreement for both sides, but the money is so big in the sport, everybody is making money. Figure it out, but you have to do it before then to keep the excitement and the momentum of the sport, especially now more than ever as uh, stadiums have opened up to 100%, and I said this on the show too, the thing I take away from 2021 and that great run, the fans were reinvigorated here in this town. Mm-hmm. It made you want to go to the ballpark. And then when you were there, you were saying, 
oh, I want to come back tomorrow night. I forgot how much fun this is. Don't lose that momentum, and I, I hope they don't. I hope they don't, but if I know anything about baseball, yeah, it's I that mean, they don't give a bleep about that momentum, and if they well, if think it does, there's they a do better... If it can, concerns that money, though. I mean, that is money. I yeah. mean, you're talking about making sure you get people in those seats. Yeah. So this is that. That's what I'm saying. I think this one is a little bit different. And Anthony touched upon it. We talked about it. Last summer was ugly. I hope you're right. I, I, I yeah. I I really I, I'm rooting for you to be right. I just never, I never underestimate baseball's ability to mess <laughs> something like this up. Can't get out of their own way sometimes. All right, we'll see. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. Probably unfair to say last night, in a way, was a microcosm of the season because you had different parts of the season that were so different. Um, but hear me out on this. Oh, by the way, that's BK. I'm Danny Mack. Uh, BK got up uh, during the middle of my read for the home loan. No, it was a home- no, Saliga, and I thought he was just leaving the show. He was fired up. <laughs> I had to go get my lunch. I was so excited to get in here today. I forgot my you. lunch in my car. <laughs> Boy, you just frightened me when you did that. Um so the point being is that the offense went cold last night. So you had three guys get hits. Edmund had three, Goldie, and uh, who was the other one? Dylan Carlson with the punch to base hit the other way against the shift. You went 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. Um, the ninth inning, the walk. The walk that you cannot walk Bellinger in that spot, and then Alex Reyes walk off Homer. And that's kind of, and it's unfair to say, well, that just sums up the season and how they play. No, it's not how you're playing one of the best teams that's been constructed here in the last ten or twenty years. The Dodgers are the the elite of the National yep. League for the last five years. They are now what you were in the early two thousands. Sure, and so, um, but there was a lot of things that resembled this season. And I know a lot of people today and, and tomorrow are going to talk about the Reyes decision to bring him in, and it's it's valid. You know, inherited runners hasn't been great, and it didn't work out last night. But the walk in that spot is what really killed the Cardinals. You cannot walk Bellinger in that spot. Also, the 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. And that's not Mike Schilt. That's, that's the players there. So it kind of was a little bit of a microcosm of what we saw in 2021. For sure. And it also was a microcosm of baseball in 2021 and that the team that hit two home runs was the team that won. And I mentioned this yesterday on our show with Alex Ferrario. Like This game was probably going to come down to a defensive miscue on the Dodgers part if the Cardinals won or home runs. If the Cardinals were to win that game, they probably needed to hit multiple home runs. And I said that yesterday. Not that's not hindsight 2020. It's really hard to string together hits against quality pitching. It's really hard to do. And against their pitchers, especially coming out of that pin, it's damn near impossible. Not just for the Cardinals, for anybody. I mean, you look at the ERAs that those guys had on the season. They're all in the twos. I mean, it's like closers for your best teams in baseball. Go ahead and put them one after the other, after the other, after the other. That's what you saw as the parade of relievers came into the game for the Dodgers yesterday. Trying to put two, maybe three hits together in any individual inning, it, it's really it tough. Be tough. So you've got to you've got to win with a long ball. And the car, the Cardinals' problem last night was a yeah you weren't able to string together those hits. O for eleven, that just can't happen. But also none of them went over the wall, and you weren't able to get the big fly. They were, 
And unfortunately, Dan, that's the story of the game. By the way, uh, Trinan got five outs in that game. I thought he was the key for the Dodgers and, you know, in their bullpen. Now they had a bunch. I mean, Joe Kelly coming in, that was also a key. Joe Kelly comes in with a couple of runners on and nobody out Huge. And, and gets out of that inning in the fifth. But when I'm watching Trinan, is there a nastier breaking ball than this dude? I mean, holy smokes. That thing's breaking two feet. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy, and he's throwing it hard, and he throws hard His anyway. Fastball has tail on it as well. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, but that's it's why. I mean, to your point, BK. I mean, you go Scherzer to Kelly in the fifth, who could be a closer on many teams. Gratterall is at times dominant, but throws a hundred. You got Trinan in the seventh. He's been a closer. Corey Knable, he's been a closer. He came in with one out and uh, one on and two outs in the eighth. And then Kenley Jansen, who's been and an by outstanding the way, he closer. Awesome last night. Yep. I mean, that, that's the best that I've seen him in a while. And he's been really good down the stretch for the Dodgers. He's added a couple of new pitches into his arsenal, and it's completely unlocked things for him. But he looked outstanding for them last night. So the Cardinals had Wayno, and Wayno in the game, five and a third, four hits and a run. Did his job. Garcia. Came into the six with one out and one on. He goes an inning and two-thirds, scoreless. Gallegos, then McFarland, then Reyes. Mike Schilt on the ninth inning. Gio, we wanted him in the middle part of the order, double-switched him in. Came out and had a nail issue um, that prevented him from going back out. Um, so, you know, appreciate the way he went through the eighth. Again, hard of the order. Came in, just um, it's been a recurring thing with some of our guys and so we send him back out knowing he wasn't going to pitch. And then um, we make him burn a guy with the Lux. And, uh, you know, we got McFarlane in there, keep him in the ground. You know, it's um, uncomfortable bats. We know they're going to go to Albert and Souza. But we wanted a guy that's going to, you know, be around the plate and on the plate. Got through those two guys, and, and um, Bellinger got away from us. And at that point, you know, it's not a – Taylor's really good against lefties. He's not a guy that's on the ground a lot. You know, we got a guy with swing and miss stuff. We got a guy that a little higher strikeout against righties. You know, we got an advantage. First couple sliders were, you know, really good. You know, swings we were expecting, and then he got one he could put a swing on. That was a game. I'm going to read into that a little bit. I wanted to see Cabrera, and I've said it many, many times. I love it when he's rested because his his efficiency in the strike zone is much better. And when Mike said, and I thought about this when I heard it live last night, he said we wanted to go with a guy in and around the plate. And I think that's what exactly what he said. But – it, it, when I read into that, I'm I'm hearing a guy saying, I want somebody that I know I can count on throwing strikes, where at times, Henesis Cabrera has not been that guy. Because ideally, I think you start that inning with him. I would have rather seen McFarland come in with runners on, and I'd rather see a clean inning out of Alex Reyes. He gambled, didn't work, but I, I, I can see both sides of it. Yeah, I, if Cabrera was available, I'm still kind of baffled as to why he wasn't the call there. Uh, better stuff, strikeout stuff in that spot that he's talking about there at the end. And maybe it's he wanted to have more time to be able to give Cabrera multiple batters. And the pitcher spot was coming up fourth in the next inning. So you might have only gotten one out out of him if you go to him in that spot. But you got to get that out. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a really, really important out. And I understand that this year, Chris Taylor and in his history, he's much better against lefties than righties. But yep. Your guy is much better against righties than he is against lefties in Hennessy Cabrera. He's got reverse splits, so I trust him. I, it's it's kind of like what they did with Giovanni Gallegos in uh, the big spot that they needed him in the eighth inning. 
you, you needed him there. That was the heart of the order for the Dodgers, and it was best on best, and you trust your guy to get their guys out. I would have done the same thing with Henesis Cabrera in the ninth. They decided not to go that route, and um, th- this is this is baseball, man. Yeah. This is why we're able to argue these things. And I guess he was feeling, you know, you can get, you know, Henesis sometimes can get wild. I mean, we've seen that, and sure. I guess he's saying, hey, I'm going with the guy that I know is going to give me some strikes in that spot. I get it. I just, I, I, I guess I can understand. However, that the I, I would have rather, I would have rather seen Cabrera. So you know, and that's where I just wonder at the beginning of the inning. That's one thing. When you go to Reyes, though, I, I, I think I would have rather seen Cody Whitley or Hennessy Cabrera in that particular spot. Either of those two guys with the inherited runners both have been better in those spots this year than Alex Reyes has. It just seemed like the worst possible scenario for using Reyes there, but. Uh, that's the way it went. All right. You have your show coming up, and I'm just going to go out on a limb. You're going to be continuing to talk about this. Lots of blues talk today, Dan. We're, I bet. we're turning the page. It's okay. blues and NFL. Exclu- I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, lots of Cardinals talk between now and the end of the show. We've got Mark Saxon in today. Alex has some stuff with his family. He's going to do that today. He'll be back tomorrow. But Mark Saxon in with us today from Saxy. 11 to 2, talking Cardinals baseball. We're going to open up with um the the opportunities that they had they just they could not find the big hit last night dan and we'll open up with that today peloton let's go this holiday with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors we're gonna pick it up a notch it's the holiday season you might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes from running to cycling to yoga try peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.